You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Please welcome the wonderful, the slightly drunk, Ruth Catcher! I wouldn't smile too much. (laughs) My husband died on the 1st of February last year. He'd had a two-year fight with cancer and it was absolutely horrendous. And all through this time, I kept telling myself how lucky I was, how lucky about this, that and the other. But the truth of the matter is that from the word go, he was told there was nothing they could do for him, but they could make himself comfortable. So an operation, um, radiotherapy, which left him unable to speak and slightly deaf, but that improved. It was absolutely bloody horrendous. Sorry about the swearing. And I just, I nursed him at home till the end. And the complete lack of support I got, I couldn't believe. I am an ex-nurse. You'd have thought I, I would know what I was doing, but I didn't. I was trying to get his pain relief. He was on morphine and fentanyl and you name it. He had three cancers, right? And it was like everyone was against me, especially GP receptionists. I had difficulty getting his pain relief from the chemist on repeat prescription. Could I ever get it? No. I went into the GP surgery one day and I said, what do I have to do to get my husband's morphine and fentanyl on repeat prescriptions. Well, if you're going to ask like that, you'll be lucky. I thought, what? I was so shocked. I just stood there gaping at her. I thought, this isn't about me. It's it's about Michael. And, yeah, another instance was he was running out of all his pain relief And I was in boots, and I'd been in boots for about three days in a row, saying, he's running low, we need some more morphine. You know, oral oral morphine is great fun. I had to have it after an accident. But I I just went in, and on the third day, and I said, he's now run out of his morphine and fentanyl patches. You know, any chance? I've been coming in for three days. And they said, oh, no, we haven't got it. And I just absolutely lost my rag. I was so frustrated and angry. I stood in the middle of boots. Let's name them and shame them. And I shouted, he's got three cancers. What do I have to do to get his pain relief? He's in absolute agony. 
and burst into tears, of course, as one does. Well, I had a really good friend with me, and she was stood behind me, and she sort of went to be consoling to me, and I just hit her. Uh, I just, you know, I'd had enough. I was so frustrated, I couldn't get help at home with him. I mean, Big C, all those other bloody places. I tried phoning them. I talked to everyone in sight. Nobody would come and help me, and I couldn't understand it. So anyway, on this occasion, my friend, they eventually said, oh, there's some morphine right the other side of Norwich. And she said, I'll go get it. Thank God for that. And all this time, he was having, obviously, a really hard time. He, he had two main cancers and obviously secondaries as well. And I was just trying to be mm, and happy and, you know, yeah, whatever, we'll get on with this, dear. And uh, I was getting so frustrated, I couldn't believe it. And I, I just had to hide it all from him. And that, that was just so hard because I wanted his last moments on this planet to be comfortable, not in too much pain and happy. So I keep returning to the fact that I think I'm a lucky person. Okay, lucky to have known him, lucky to have two wonderful boys, lucky that the two boys have actually found two really strong women to sort them out. <laughs> well, I can now. So what was good in this time, and I have to keep going back to that, I have to remember, and the fact is that our oldest son, Jim, was married to this gorgeous woman, Nell, over here. And they had a little baby. And we had a granddaughter. And Michael just absolutely adored this little baby. Absolutely fabulous. They'd just sit and look at each other and just, you know, because she wasn't very old. You know, she didn't know him better than I did. <laughs> so that was fabulous. Um... My cousin flew over from Canada to spend three days with Mick, which I thought was quite a good effort. And my, my youngest son, Declan, and his intended, Rebecca, were due to get married in August of last year. Well, we all know how that worked out. And um, I was actually, you know, I was going spare, and I said... I'm going to go away and sing in Brighton with The Voice Project. Will you come and stay with your father? At which point he said, OK, Dad, we're going to get married in January. And Mick was ever in denial, always fighting. He said, oh, I'll be all right in August. Yeah, last year. Not a chance. So anyway... He said, no, Dad, I want your signature on our, uh, and you to be a witness to our marriage. And Mick said, oh, yes, all right. And I thought, he was never that easy with me, you know, forget it. So we, we had some lovely times, obviously, family together, but, you know, 
the last few months were absolutely horrendous. But I have to say, on voting day, you know, that one where everything went really tits up, <laughs> I wheeled him in his wheelchair. I said, you have to vote, you have to vote. He hated his wheelchair. So I got him down to the polling station and we both voted. Obviously, you know, that side of things. And... Uh, then we had tickets to see the neutrinos here at the Art, art Centre uh, that ghastly day. And uh, obviously, because he was very weak at that point, you know, he couldn't make it. So I came here to the Art Centre and saw the neutrinos. Brilliant gig. And I said to Karen, who sings with them, I said, you know, Mick was just couldn't make it tonight. And she said, oh, okay. And the next day, three of the neutrinos came round and sang to him. Wasn't that fabulous? And that was a real highlight. So he had this lovely granddaughter that Nell had given birth to, who adored each other. I was just totally besotted was Mick. And then we have this wedding, which is towards the end of January, and we go up the castle. They've got this big thing planned for August, but obviously it's never going to happen uh, with Mick there anyway. And so we go up the castle, and Mick, he's in a wheelchair. He's like a skeleton. And he managed just to sign, as his youngest son, Declan, wanted him to, managed to sign the registry form to be a witness to his wedding and he he just he could hardly write and he just said you know I'm really proud of you boys and that was the thing about us we we had quite a sort of tempestuous but good fun relationship and the one thing we really agreed on was that we had two boys that not only did we love, we actually liked, you know. I mean, you can love someone unconditionally, but whether you actually like them or not is another matter. So then where does that leave me? So right, Mick died precisely a week later. And the night before, my two boys and their girls were running around Norwich trying to get all these drugs for his pain relief, right? He'd been unconscious nearly for about three days. I was going, uh, do you want me to play so-and-so on the CD player? And nothing. Do you want me to play so-and-so? And then he'd sort of blink his eyes, you know, so I knew that I was putting on the music that he liked. They were still mucking me about as to the care I got for him and someone from Priscilla Bacon Lodge came out about a week and a half before he died and I said I'm getting no help I'm getting nothing I'm not getting equipment to get him in and out of bed I can't get him in the shower I'm nearly falling over and she was absolutely shocked at the place he'd been left in Ultimately, the night before he died, 
my sons and their wives were running round all over bloody Norwich to get this pain relief for him so that a nurse could give him really high-powered pain drugs. And there was one they couldn't get, and I couldn't... They were being sent from pharmacy to pharmacy, and then I got a phone call from a pharmacy that they'd been to saying, I'm meant to be off at 7.30, and you haven't come and picked up the drugs. And I said, well, we were told they were at the other pharmacy. And she said, well, I was due off at 7.30. I'm going now. And I thought, oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, anyways. So, obviously, it was absolutely horrendous. And the next morning, a doctor came round with the drugs that were missing. The one drug that was missing, wasn't it? And I said, oh... I said, do come in. You can sign the death certificate. I was absolutely gone. But the nice thing was that I'd called the boys and Jim had managed to get there in time and we just sat beside him and we were stroking his face and telling him how much he loved him because I'm an ex-nurse. You'd have thought I'd known better throughout and telling him how much we loved him. And he actually smiled and died. And it was just an absolutely amazing moment. So this poor doctor comes up and says, I've got the rest of the drugs. Oh, yeah, get in there and sign the death certificate. Why don't you? And that just about summed up, you know, we get all this wonderful stuff about Macmillan, Big C, and how helpful they are. And I'm an ex-nurse. Why didn't I know any better? I have no idea. So then I have a wonderful funeral for him, or a gathering as I prefer to call it. And it was, it was fabulous. The place was packed out, all friends, absolutely wonderful. Then lockdown. So... I'm quite happy with that. I don't want to speak to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. All I want is my family. I couldn't give a stuff about anything else. But after a few weeks, when I think, oh, crikey, the voice project starts up with something that I sing with and we do two promenade concerts every year. But, you know, thanks to COVID, we're on Zoom. <laughs> really? We're not only on Zoom, we have to record ourselves onto our mobiles. And then we have to go off out and film where the sky meets the land, meets the sea, water, whatever, and then upload it. Ah, oh, really? But it gave me a focus. But by this time, I turned into a really angry woman. I mean, very angry. Angry at him dying. Angry at his treatment. Angry at myself because why didn't I notice? Why didn't I know he was so ill? Well, so I drink too much and I smoke too much. And I swear quite a lot, but I'm doing my best not to tonight. So I have a new slate. It's a clean slate. I've got lots of slates in my head. But this is my clean slate. Remember Mick, smile at the memories, absolutely love him. I will always grieve and love him. 
be in touch with family more, do exactly what I want to do, which is singing. So I sing a lot, and I've taken to doing um, open mic nights on my own, and I absolutely murdered Teen Spirit the other week. <laughs> but if you've ever actually listened to the lyrics and the song without all the fabulous backing and gorgeous guy leaping across, it is so repetitive and so bizarre. I kept saying, are these, are these words sort of New York drugs that I haven't heard about? I mean, the words are ridiculous. So I am now on my clean sleep. Slate, sleet. <laughs> I just have another drink. On my clean slate, if I want to dress up in great flowery dresses with loads of can-can petticoats just to go to the corner shop, I bloody will. And if I want to sing... I don't care what people think of me. I will. I think I'm stronger, but I'm still really weak. It's it's a hard place to be in, but it, it's rather wonderful to talk about it. I will always love Mick. He he was my chap. But if you have about a really bored moment, I had this dilemma: what do you do with ashes? Huh? So. I wanted to put him in Rosary Road, in the old part, not the new part, that's awful. But the old part, it's all wild and nature and absolutely lovely. And they said, yes, you can put ashes in there, £2,000, thank you very much. I thought, what? You know, for a plot about, you know, six by six with a bit of concrete saying who he was... And I thought, oh, I can just hear Mick saying, don't you dare. Don't you dare waste that money on that. So I had this real dilemma. What do I do with his ashes? So I looked it up on the internet. You have no idea what absolutely ridiculous things you can do with a loved one's ashes. I will not be getting a tattoo. Really? Oh, just look it up. It's absolutely ludicrous. Well, I've done a lot of writing and singing with The Voice Project and I have actually written poems for Mick. I'm sorry about this. <laughs> but, I mean, this is us. It's called The Top Hat. He loved his top hat. When he gave me his top hat to look after, I knew it was meant to be. I draped it in white lace and I placed it in sight. We loved, we married and gave life to two boys. We fought, oh yes we did. We argued but always there was love. We stayed the course, we never gave up. The top hat is older than me. We are both worn and aged, aged even. I placed it on his coffin with wildflowers and greenery. Now it's just me in my home with the top hat. Ruth Catra, thank you so much, Ruth. What a legend. <laughs> Thanks, Ruth. True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project. 
brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website, truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich.